Our reading today is from the book of Acts and chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, and then from verse 27 to 32. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, during no man would join themselves to them. But the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about under Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which were in the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, And brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the synagogue early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with them called unto the council together, and all the senate of all the children of Israel, and sent them to the prison to have them brought. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set before them the council and the high priest and asked them, saying, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than than men. Then the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Hath God exalted him, sorry, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them, that obey him. Sandy, that's great. Well, Acts chapter 5 this morning. Um, tremendous passage. And as we look at it, I wonder, if we go to the second slide, Andrew, um, I want to hear if when Andy was reading it, you picked out this um, seeming contradiction in verses 12 to 14, where it says here, no one dared join them. And then it says, nevertheless, more and more, they were added to 
added to their number. The answer to this is probably this, that um, thousands of people were being reached and touched and healed and uh, they were glad to have this happen and yet they were all very, very much aware of what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They may have looked at each other and said, hey, it's great to be with these Christians. We're glad they've turned up and we're glad they're in our town and we're glad to have been healed and we're glad to have been delivered from um, demonic forces. But we don't know whether we really actually want to join them. We don't really know whether we want to be with them because in their minds... They were thinking very much probably of what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And these people were possibly saying, it doesn't matter to us if we lie and cheat and steal and are a little bit deceptive. Um, Do we have to tell the whole truth? Do we have to be like them? And it's good to be healed, but do we really want to be like them? Dr. Campbell Morgan, um, a Bible exegete and theologian, said this. They had a salutary fear of getting linked up with those Christians. But amongst those who were being healed and delivered from demons, there were many who said, but we would like to be like these Christians. Um, We will will repent and believe and be like them. And they were added to their number. And you know, there's no escaping the fact that anybody that becomes a Christian, um, that it does mean a radical change in their lives. You look at verse 20, if you've still got your Bible open there. It says this, the angel said, tell the people the full message of this new life. And so we come to our first slide with the word here, um, deliberation. Um, When the gospel is preached, it is good that people reflect and weigh up what they hear. And um, then as they think about joining these Christians, they need to know that Christian people have had a radical change in two major areas of their lives. First of all, in their belief system. There are ex-atheists in the Christian church all over the world. I can remember very well when we were church planting in northern Italy. We had a uh, a visit one day of a young guy came to see us. I remember his name now. It was Danilo Valla. And Danilo was what the Italians call, he's only a young guy, they called him a picchiatore. A picchiatore was a guy that used to go on to the squares and the marketplaces of the towns of northern Italy. And as he was a leader of a communist cell, he would fight the police. Picchiari means to hit hard. And, but um, Danilo had met some Finnish Christians one day. They'd given him a Bible and he'd become a Christian and a radical Christian. He even began to like Americans as well after that. And, uh, but it was great to uh, hear an atheist say, I believe now. I believe the gospel. I believe in God. Then there are those with religious backgrounds. Um, people from all world religions are in the Christian church and in the cults as well. Uh, I remember years ago, when soon after we came to Sudbury, a young lady came with her mum and she said, um, Godfrey, she says, I hear that you help people who are linked up with Jehovah's Witnesses. She says, can you help me? And um, she said, I, 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 I'm just not sure that I'm in the right organization and we shared the gospel with her and we shared time with her and then ccf cornell christian fellowship were able to build on that and she's been a happy member of ccf for a number of years and all around the world there are ex-mormons jehovah's witnesses christadelphians people from the cults as well as the world religions in the christian church they've had a change in their belief system and it is a radical change 
And then secondly, in the area of their behaviour, that has changed. Uh, let me give you one or two examples. Um, my older son said to me, Daddy said, I'll get Joshua to drive you down. Um, Joshua was a, uh, a young guy. Um, uh, he was, uh, I forget his actual job, but he was a bit of a theologian in his spare time. And we talked theology all the way home. And I said to him, Josh, how did you become a Christian? Uh, he said, uh, Godfrey says, I'll tell you. He said, I was backpacking in Australia um, with my girlfriend. And he said, I had a crisis of conscience. He said, I knew I, 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 he said, I knew I had to change him from a Christian home. He said, I just knew God was calling me. He said, and, and I did. I gave my heart to the Lord. Then he had to say to her, sweetheart, he said, I can't sleep with you for the rest of this journey. He said, I, I've changed. And um, she was absolutely, um, she was so cross with him. But he, he said, this is what, what I had to do. It was a change in my behavior. I heard of a Scottish girl who was, um, mocked by um, a cynic. He said, well, what's religion done for you and your family? And this lovely Scottish girl said this. She says, religion? She says, I don't really know. She says, but since my dad became a Christian, we've seen the whiskey changed into furniture, an adulterer become a faithful husband, and an absent, absentee father begin to sit round the fire with us. And then the Apostle Paul, like this. Incredible man. This man was taking letters... To destroy the Christian church. And yet when he was converted, what did he do? He wrote letters to build up the Christian church. So it's important to see that um, people, um, it's important that people deliberate and ponder. um, Because God wants to transform every person who becomes a Christian. Until their world view, until their belief system, until their behavior becomes in conformity with the life and the spirit of the Son of God who wants to make everybody a new creation in Christ. I never believe that anybody has become a Christian unless over a period of time I see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. That is the proof of a change. And it has to be. There has to be this change in their lives. And then secondly in this chapter, these apostles that have gone, we're talking about apostles that go, they've gone into the culture and Jesus never asked the world to, uh, the world to go to church. He asked the church to go to the world and these apostles have gone and they've brought the demonstration of the power of God. A miraculous signs, wonders and healings and deliverances from satanic power didn't cease with Jesus' death. They were a part of the life of the early church. I just want to say a few things about them. First of all, about signs and wonders. They are a biblical reality. Peter and Philip, for example, were used to help people, to heal people, and they were casting out demons, and, uh, and that was very, very evident. Then secondly, um, they are evident today. Very much so in many parts of the world. Um, Miraculous things are happening by the power of the Spirit of God moving through the church of God. This is a reality. Uh, I remember a couple of months ago watching Ravi Zacharias, the Christian apologist to the student world primarily, and he suddenly broke into his own testimony. He said, I had a, he said, I had, I have in my back, he said, I've got titanium rods. He said, I, I I found it at one time so hard to move. He said, and I used to put my head on the steering wheel of my car and I'd weep because I'd be going to another conference and nobody knew the pain that I was in. He said, then one morning I had a phone call from a friend of mine, an old friend who said, Ravi, I've got to come and see you. 
And he, he said, he said, he said, John, I can't. He said, I'm leaving for a big conference in half an in, in this morning. He said, I've got to come, Ravi. <clears throat> so Ravi said, come for breakfast. We'll meet at McDonald's. They did. They ordered food and didn't touch it because this guy said to him, he said, I've got, I don't know what it means. He said, but I've got to say to you three letters, three things. He said, three, four, six. Does that mean anything to you? And Ravi said, he said, they are the vertebrae in my back that um, are, are dislodged. He said, they're the ones causing all the pain. He said, let me pray for you. <clears throat> there in McDonald's, he just put his hands on him and prayed for him. Ravi said he went back home and he went to the airport. He said he bent down. He, he was able to do his shoes up. He said he, got, put his, he was able for the first time in years to put his um, little uh, briefcase up on the rack. He said he, he said he knew. He said, God had touched my back. He said, something incredible had happened. Now, I, have, uh, I, I had four operations on my back in my 20s, down that little <coughs> bone at the bottom of the spine. And um, so after my last one, I was um, uh, discharged from hospital, and I had to dash back to Italy in a very young guy from Ipswich said, Goffrey, I'd love the experience. He says, can I drive you down to Reggio? I said, if you want to do that, I'm looking for somebody. And uh, down we went to Reggio and uh, <clears throat> I was going to step right into a tent campaign that we were organising and I had 20 Finnish young people <clears throat> to sort out and put where they should be and I felt absolutely at death's door. And a lovely Swiss guy called Paolo Stilli said, Goffrey, I'm going to pray for you. I put my head on a pillow at two o'clock and feeling more dead than alive, I woke up at five o'clock completely different. And I know that God touched me in that time. I guess some of you have been in meetings and you've been at times, somebody's maybe laid hands on you and prayed for you. God's power is active today in signs and wonders. But then, um, not everybody was healed. Paul said, Trophimus, I left sick in Miletus. And Paul himself had a thorn in the flesh. Signs and wonders don't always come from God. The magicians who stood before Pharaoh uh, were able to do the same signs and wonders that Moses did. Not all of them, but a good number of them. And Jesus spoke of those at the final judgment who will ask him to remember them and all the miracles and healings they did. But he will say, away from me, I never knew you. And then signs and wonders don't necessarily produce faith. Israel in the wilderness is a classical example of this. They witnessed amazing things happening in their lives, and yet they struggled to enter the promised land. How strange, they believed in a God who could get them out, but they didn't, they didn't feel he had the power to get them in to the promised land. We've seen giants, we've seen walled cities. You won't, but I can't believe what we've seen. And then we come to the next point, which is desperate men. <clears throat> desperate men, verses 17 to 26. I wonder if you've ever seen on telly clips of a full session of Parliament, all the MPs present and not a vacant seat everywhere with ushers and stewards um, thronging, the, uh, thronging the aisles as well. Uh, the gathering of all these religious leaders to interrogate the apostles must have resembled Westminster at uh, crisis time. Luke puts it this way in verse 21. He says, they called together the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Why were these religious leaders agitated? Well, verse 17, they were jealous of the apostles. And verse 24, they were puzzled. 
and they were, in verse 24, apprehensive about the future. Matthew says in his gospel that the Pharisees were envious of Jesus. And then it says that, um, Matthew says, they, uh, um, out of envy, Pilate knew that out of envy, they handed him over. Envy is different to jealousy. Envy is when we eat our hearts out for the talents that other people have that we don't have. Um, jealousy is when we are scared stiff that someone will take from us something that we have. I mean, those um, Stuart and Jew will see this probably in, amongst the young people they work with. Or in churches, you get a good youth group, and then right from nowhere arrives another young guy. He can play the guitar, he's good-looking, and uh, he can preach a bit. And all the young guys are very envious of his talents. Um, but at the same time, if he's seen talking to one of the girls in the group, her boyfriend will say, what are you doing talking to him? You don't, don't go too near him, keep away from him. Because he's jealous, lest he uh, lose this girl to him. So in a nutshell, the religious leaders long for the power, the popularity and the personality of Jesus. And now after his death, as they see the success of the early church, they fear to lose their position and their power to these Galilean fishermen who are preaching now in the locality. So why were they agitated? Secondly, what exactly did the apostles of Jesus have that made the religious leaders so jealous? The answer is found in verse 20. They were, these disciples were enjoying a new life in all its fullness and telling others how to experience this as well. And a Christian let's make no mistake, is someone who has left behind spiritual death to come to the reality of a fullness of life in Jesus. Now, this isn't something that Christian people, uh, we've seen a second, um, experience to the full. In part, yes, they have to, that makes them Christians. Let me define this new life that they were bringing. They, they'd gone into society to take something. We're talking about disciples that go, apostles that go. If you go, you must take something with you. They were taking the fullness of a new life. It begins with four Ps now. It begins with pardon. It starts with experiencing the forgiveness that only God can give. Um, in, the, uh, in the 18th century... Uh, uh, a man, a young man, stood on a ship and he was converted in a storm. And he, this guy was, uh, he owned slaves and he had been so um, dissolute and so wretched that he was a slave himself for a while. But he worked on a slave ship. And, but his mum was praying for him. He had, had prayed for him. And he had had contact with Christians as a young man. But he was converted in this storm. He came back and became a Church of England minister. And he sat down one day to write a hymn that you've sung many times. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That was John Newton. I remember a man coming to our tent um, in Reggio Emilia saying, I've got no time to stay now, but when you come to my town in a month's time, I'll come and see you. That man's name was called Renzo Creola. He, said, he told us, he said, I was a businessman. He said, I was 
I hadn't a care in the world. I had 400 men working for me, 400 people working for me. And he said, I, I, I had to, I, one day I was overwhelmed with a sense I needed to find God. I was driving my car. He said, I had to stop going to a little Catholic church. And there, he said, I began to pray. That day, he, began, he said, I began a search for God. A search for God. He said, I, I traveled to most of the shrines of Europe. He said, I wept one night before the Madonna of Lourdes. He said that I came under your tent and I listened to an Italian evangelist talking on what it means to experience pardon through the grace of God. And that guy was gloriously saved. It, it was a bit of a, to me, a salvation like the Apostle Paul. It was so radical. And, um, but this new life begins with pardon. Receiving God's pardon for our sins is not a long process of trying hard to earn it. It's a gift that God gives that we have to receive. And I trust everybody in the room today has done that. Then secondly, peace. Um, as we experience this new life, we get peace deep within. As Jesus stilled the storm on Lake Galilee by saying, peace be still, he also stills the troubled hearts of everybody who believes, all those people who believe. I love the biography of a little man, a little guy called Billy Bray, a Cornish miner in the 1800s. And when danger used to hit a mine, he would say to all his mates, I'll go down, boys. He said, I'll go down first. He said, because I've got the peace of God in my heart. He said, you guys haven't. And if you die, you will be lost. Then purpose. This new life is a life of purpose. Through Jesus, we get a sense of purpose and meaning. That is to know God better, to move in the flow of his purpose for planet Earth, and to give our time, our talents, and our money to serving that purpose. And then Jesus gives us a reason to live and a reason to die. This new life, then, is a life, fourthly, of power. And uh, the supernatural power that God gives to us that we live as we should in this world. When a man called J.B. Phillips was translating from the Greek a New Testament for a paraphrased uh, New Testament in the 1950s, he said this. When I was translating the Acts of the Apostles, he said it was like wiring up a house with the power still on. And all through history, Christians have come to experience God's power in a deeper way as they have hungered and thirsted for it. Have you ever looked at... We're going to look through the Acts of the Apostles. Have you ever wondered why these men and women were so different and so motivated? Um, perhaps I'm speaking to some here today who for ages have longed to know a greater power, the greater power of God in their lives. You've become a Christian. You've been moving along the Christian way for a number of years. And yet you might say, if you had a coffee with somebody or a close friend to say, I really don't know the fullness or the power of this new life that I see in the Acts of the Apostles or in my experience. I don't seem to know it. Let me share with you three ways, <clears throat> just in a nutshell, very briefly, that people have met with God and began to experience his power in their lives. And I say this because... <clears throat> um, we need, to, we need to experience this and we need to know that there is much more and that we don't just have to vegetate or hope for the best. 
if we begin to hunger for God, and by this I mean sometimes to pray, <coughs> excuse me, to pray and to fast, and to walk with God, to get alone with God and say, Lord, I, I, I just can't live on memories. I can't live off biographies. I have to know you in a deeper way myself. When people have prayed this, sometimes, firstly, they've experienced in their kitchen, um, in their bedroom, or walking with God, they've experienced an anointing like happened at, um, on the day of Pentecost. The evangelist D.L. Moody did. He began to preach and nothing happened. He cried out to God and he was crying out to God for ages. He said, in the street one day, God just fell on me. And he said, it was so powerful, I had to say, God, please stay your hand. I, I, can't, I can't cope with this. I can't take it. And some people have had an anointing like the, like the, like the apostles had. Other people have read John 15 and they've seen there the vine and the branches and uh, how Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, saw this. He says, I'm a, I'm a branch, I'm in the vine and just as the branch receives power from the vine and it comes in, he says there's life. He said, if God asks me to do a simple thing, the power's there to do it. If, I, if I've got to do a, an important thing, big thing, the power's there to do it. And he came, he, came, he called it the exchange life. And then the Chinese Christian, Watchman Nee, said when Jesus died on the cross, he just didn't look down at me and say, I forgive you. He reached down and pulled me onto the cross with him so that I died and I've come alive and I have his life within me. And if I, it's not I, but Christ, I can ask, I can move into society to say, Lord, you touch lives through my humanity. And when people have realized that, that it's his life lived powerfully in us, they come into a new experience. What I'm trying to say is there is much more and there's a greater joy and a greater sense of the battle once you are, um, it, once you are in this life. Now, Christians have called this by a different experience. Um, I grew up with a group of people that called it the Keswick experience. This is the, Roman, this is the Romans 5 to 8 experience. Other people call it the baptism in the Spirit. Some call it the fullness of the Spirit. Some call it being immersed or drenched in the Spirit or walking in the Spirit in a new way. Whatever, whatever the terminology, there is a deeper life that all of us, and we as a church, we, it would behove us to find this, to cry out to God, to say, anoint me, Lord, so that I could have this, the fullness of this new life. And then, moving on very quickly, disobedience. Um, this full gathering of all the scribes and the Pharisees um, then command that the disciples be brought to them. Um, but they're not there in prison. An angel has released them. And um, as I said, they're out preaching again. And so these disciples are prevailed upon and to be interrogated. And the apostles before them are accused of disobedience. And they don't deny this charge. And how are we to understand their position that they take, given that we too must submit to the civic authorities? Well, the teaching of the Bible is this that we be submissive to the civic authorities. Um, submit to the governing authorities, says Paul. Pay taxes, pay revenue, give honour, um, respect who it is due. We do this readily and we teach our children as well. But the, there's the exception to this rule, and it's this. We must obey God rather than men. 
We refuse, uh, we refuse to obey the ruling authorities when they arrogate to themselves deity or they demand worship of us or command us to do what God doesn't want us to do. Um, I like the, 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 uh, the words of Brother Andrew, who was a missionary to the, to, commun- to the communist world in the 1960s and the 1970s. He says, if you governing authorities say to me, do not bring... Do not bring your gospel. Do not bring your literature into our country. He said, if I obey you, then I have to be disobedient to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who's told me to move into your countries and to evangelize and to build the church and to spread the gospel. I obey a greater authority. And this is what these apostles, the one that have gone into society with the power of God are saying, you tell us to stop. If we obey you, we disobey the King of Kings who tells us what to do. There's a letter in, uh, from the early church by a man called Pliny. He writes to the Emperor Hadrian. He says, sir, you sent me to examine these Christians. They, once a week they get up before dawn. They, 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 they promise not to commit adultery. They, they pray. They worship. They serve one Christ. The only, they're model citizens. The only thing they will not do is to say, you are Lord. I cannot command them to say that you are Lord. Because they say, well, Jesus is Lord. Three young men come before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, he says, bow down and worship this idol that I've made. They say, sir, we cannot do it. There are times in our life, there might be times in our church life in the future, when the authorities say, don't you do this, don't you. But we have to say, we have been given command to God by God to do that. We must obey God rather than men. I close very briefly. Briefly. Talking about, fifthly, diplomacy. A man called Gamaliel stands up and offers them a way out as they had um, um, no power to take the lives of other human beings. Only the Romans had that power and they, and they, hadn't, and they would have to kill the apostles. Um, so he seems to be saying here that this new movement in verses 33 to 40 will fizzle out like the others had. And uh, and he mentions two of these that have fizzled out. But with great respect to his diplomatic powers, he had no idea how far back the planning had gone into what was happening before him. And um, the Apostle Paul says that the early church was chosen and predestined before the creation of the world. And the Apostle John says that the Christians had their names in the book of life before the creation of the world. And Jesus said the powers of hell would never stop the building of his church um, right to the end of the world. So far from fizzling out, um, this new movement, the church, from God's perspective, had become the most significant activity on planet Earth. And today across the globe, village evangelists and local church workers all over the world, leaders of camps, Christian camps, are doing the greatest job on planet Earth. So today, if you're feeling insignificant, unimportant, wondering if you count, take courage. You are part of something, the most vital something that is happening on planet Earth today. You're part of what God is doing, building his church because like the apostles you too all of us have gone into society into the world and we can look at what happens in Acts chapter 5 and say well praise God Um, they, they said be quiet don't talk but they said we must obey God 
rather than men. And they, were, they took within, with them into society a powerful gospel in all its fullness and joy. And it was a demonstration of the power of God in every way. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the, the passion and the power that motivated these men and women to go and to stand before authorities and say, we must obey God rather than men. And Lord, we pray that we too might know the fullness of this new life that the apostles were talking about. And so, Lord, we might have the courage and the strength and the vision and the stamina to keep going and to right to the end of growing in grace and in the knowledge of God. And we pray, Lord, that like these men, we too might be fruitful in our witness and we might affect many lives of the people around us. Bless us as a church and help us to move in the, in the power and the stream of what we are reading in these Acts of the Apostles. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.